and welcome back to the internet's favourite British sitcom discussion podcast. I'm Mooncat, you are Ocho, this is The Sitcom Club. It is, is it? Well, unless somebody's moved everything in our absence, I believe it still is. We're still here, we're still at The Sitcom Club on Twitter, we're still at sitcomclub.com, and we have all manner of sitcom-related delights lined up for the next few weeks following our winter break. I don't know about you, but I had a really rubbish winter break. I wasn't even going to mention, because yeah, I know, I mean, I wasn't even going to mention your winter break because you had the full-on, proper 100% bona fide flu. Yes, and I wasn't even able to watch TV for a while because it hurt my eyes. But I did listen to a few radio sitcoms. It's a Fair Cop with Eric Sykes and Eric Guyler and Dick Emery. I listened to the pilot of Jim the Great with Jimmy Edwards. The Big Business Lock with Jimmy Edwards and Frank Thornton. Not so good, that. So if we ever decide to go into the radio sitcom business, I've got some preparation done. Oh, undoubtedly, we will cover radio sitcoms on a future podcast. Let's just set the scene, shall we? Let's just explain who we are and what we're doing, because there may be new listeners, because we have actually added quite a few new listeners on Twitter since we stopped doing the podcast, which is odd. Um, maybe we should do this more often then. Maybe we should <laughs> stop for six weeks at a time and then we can have new Twitter listeners. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Twitter because if we then start bringing the podcast out back on a weekly basis and then suddenly all the Twitter followers drop off, then that's going to be a, a, a clear message given to us. And we will respect that message and we'll go into hiding. But no, thank you very much indeed to everybody who's now following us. If you've not been following us before, let me just explain that... Shall we just pull shall we pull back the curtain and reveal something? We're not in the same room. No. I am in Glasgow, Scotland, near England, and you are where? I am in Orange County, California. Your local park is Disneyland. Yeah. And we will be joined on future shows by other members of our team, DCT, Bogenstrovia, and others who may come along and shoot the breeze on all manner of related sitcom topics. Now, we concentrate on British sitcoms. I think we've got a slight sort of leaning towards sitcoms of yesteryear, more sort of 70s, 80s than the present day. We're not prejudiced in any way, so sometimes if something new comes on the catches the eye, we'll be talking about that. We had a bit of a hybrid recently because we were talking about Still Open All Hours, which of course covers both eras. In the next few weeks, we will be going through everyone's listener requests because we've got a lot of them on the slate. We'll also be introducing a few different themed episodes. Sometimes we'll talk about a particular group of sitcoms or a particular subgenre. Uh, we'll also be looking at some sitcoms of a particular year or maybe sitcoms with a particular actor and the more particular writer and so on. We'll get to today's topic in just a second. But a couple of things I want to say. First of all, we are now, I suppose, what you call PG friendly. You may notice that. Because we've got podcasts going all the way back to April last year. And if you're looking at them on iTunes, they all have the explicit tag against them. And that's mainly due to me being a filthy film mouth. And not really to do with anything that we're actually talking about. So, just decided from this point onwards then, it's going to be not necessarily all family-friendly topics that we're going to discuss. It depends on what show we're talking about. Certainly today's is, is fun for all the family. Apart from all those disgusting jokes about Mrs. Slocum's cat. 
But as far as the actual, shall we say, language is concerned, then I'm going to put a big bit of gaff tape over my mouth. And Ocho's going to enforce that. With, uh, you have to learn to develop prod. a mic mouth. Yeah. And you don't mean as in runarounds Mike Reed. Oh, no. No, far from it. One thing which has helped with that is that you and I have been watching an... I'm just I'm going to say the word. It's not a filthy word, but it has connotations. An obscene amount of blankety blanks lately. Did you hear that hiss on my voice there at the end? People might be wondering why that is. Why? Why are we doing that? Why? I think, was it your idea? You just popped up on Skype and said, you want to watch blankety blanks? Well, blankety blank, full stop, with Terry Wogan, has recently made an appearance on the British game and quiz show channel Challenge due to popular demand. And they've been showing the earliest episodes all the way back to 1979. And the thing that we were just on, we were on Skype one evening and we were looking around bits and pieces, like um, offshoots of it and so on. We found the American version called The Match Game. And then, I think it was yourself, did you not find the Australian version? I oh, did remember. I? But oh, okay. anyway, there was this thumbnail and I was a chap that I didn't recognise, but it clearly wasn't Terry Wogan or Les Dawson or Lily Savage, and so I thought, oh, what's this then? And it was the Australian version, which actually came before the British one, came after the American ones, it was in between. Oh, it's the interesting thing. I think it's in Wogan's autobiography. I haven't read it myself, but I've read somebody paraphrasing, saying that he was with whoever takes these decisions. And that's what they watched. They watched a tape of Blankety Blanks, and Wogan didn't like it thought it was too suggestive and it's like well look we've got i've got a copy of the american version here watch that i think you'll see and they watch that and it's like, yeah that's that's a better show so because match game is the originator so it was decided make it more like the american one but use the australian title and there it was and so we we dropped an s and it became blankety blank strangely enough in australia they have DVD box sets of Blankety Blanks. We don't have that here. We don't have that sitting on the shelf of HMV with Tell's face on the front saying the complete 1979 series of Blankety Blank. But yeah, there it is. So there's a whole ton of episodes out there you can track down. And Graham Kennedy is the host. And he's a very, very warm character. He's a very warm host. And... I wasn't really aware until I started watching this just how much he'd done in terms of Australian TV. I can't remember how I found I found stuff of him on YouTube embarrassing the sponsors of his show. <laughs> like, though I can't, I've I've been unable to find it. The clip that stuck in my mind was one of him advertising some cake that you got in a tin, and him opening the tin, popping the cooked cake onto the plate, and everybody looks at it and goes, "Ugh." And he goes, when your little puppy dog is hungry. <laughs> and he keeps going on about, oh, God, we're going to lose another sponsor. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is that people are talking about the product. And if it is disgusting when it comes out of the tin, then maybe they should rethink the product. Because what salesman, apart from maybe Ed McMahon, is going to make that look good? Why have we turned into Game Show Club? At last time, we mentioned Bruce Bold. And he turned up in a drama show I was watching called Strangers. Ah, no, this is with Tiger Soul and Margaret Manis, isn't it? Yes, and Don Henderson. And I found out Bruce Bold is from Bradford. Hey. So that he goes on the list of famous people from Bradford that 
don't get talked about as being from Bradford, along with Edward Petherbridge and Mary Tam. When you say they don't get talked about, they get talked about in this show. Well, yes, but because we, I mean, we've we've both we've both got. I saw Bottom live in Bradford many, 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 many years ago, and I remember Adrian Edmondson saying, "There's only it's only me and Kiki D." (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do have. I suppose it's fair to say we've got a penchant for spotting actors. So that will be a trait. If you've never had the show before, that'll be a trait in forthcoming weeks as we're going to spot actors and say, ah, they're so-and-so from that show there. And then start making sort of comedy connection style lists of how that person got to here and so on and so on. Like, I'm always fascinated that Terry got that job as the chef in Faulty Towers, having been responsible for all those bank raids in the Sweeney 2 not one year earlier. And yet, clearly, Faulty hasn't checked his criminal record. I would like the sitcom club family's help with something. Now, Ocho, I have mentioned this to you previously, but I haven't actually told you that I'm going to do this right now. I've been putting away Pepsi Max about two litres a day for the best part of 17 years. And it's got to the point now where I'm thinking I'd actually like to kick this habit once and for all. So I'm going to just put it on the record right now that I'm going to knock the Pepsi on the head. Now, I did think about just doing it and then sort of saying it later on, but I thought if I say it on the podcast, then I'm sort of committing myself to it. So I've got here, I mean, I've actually got, there's a tin there that's open at the moment. There are six cans and two two two-liter bottles where I am now. By the time of next week's sitcom club, They'll be finished. They'll be long gone. They'll probably be finished by midnight tonight. And I will not be replacing them. Any help that you can give, if you can just give positive vibes, power of prayer, put your hand up at the screen like Yuri Geller says, you know, anything like that at all, tweet me all manner of non-Pepsi-related niceness, anything you can do, just give me sort of Noel Edmonds, deal or no deal type positivity, and hopefully I will be Pepsi-free before you know it. You've got no faith in this, Ocho. I, mean, I can tell you haven't said a word, but I can tell that you've got absolutely no faith whatsoever. I was, I was sending that... you good vibes silently, and I might send you some Kool-Aid. I'll send you another batch, including the, the one that smells like stale urine. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's just get this straight. I'm saying that I'm going to try and give up a drink that I have been... I'm not going to, I'm going to use the word addicted to. And you're going to send me a sachet of stale urine and you think that that is going to then help There is one flavour of Kool-Aid that smells bad in its powdered form. When you mix it up, it is fine. And I am not being nasty about Kool-Aid. Because <laughs> I get through a lot of it. And I don't know why I mentioned it. I am so sorry, everybody. No, it's it's all right. It's okay. It's all part of my. This is not good listening for the new listeners. All the ones who've been there from the beginning, I'm sure, consider us to be at least close friends, if not family members. This is why I wanted us to have a little bit of a ramble at the beginning of this episode because there may be people who haven't heard us before, and I just want to sort of impress upon people that we're not a dry academic podcast. We don't come on and start saying, okay then, boot group, well, what are we talking about this week, and so on. I thought that was the pattern. Wasn't that the idea of the sitcom club, that it was going to be a book group for sitcoms? Yeah, no, 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 no. Right, breaks on, reverse. No, it's not that the, the, the key word there was dry, you see. Yes, it is. It's exactly how it's patterned. It's 
it's meant to be like a book group where we say we're going to be talking about this next week and then everybody watches it and then we'll come back and talk about it and so on. However, I don't want it to come across as if this is some sort of late night BBC4 discussion show. We have fun. It's not dry. We're not going to be putting down the topic. We love all the shows Being that we're talking about. Being academic is fun. <sighs> One last thing I just want to impress upon people before we get into today's topic. If you've not had the show before, we are basically like a book group, but about sitcoms. We talk about sitcoms each and every week. However, one thing I really want to emphasize, if you've been exposed to popular culture in, say, the last, I don't know, 25 years, for example, you might have detected an element of sort of cynicism and one-upmanship and just being utterly dismissive about what it is that you're talking about. We're nothing like that. Please what don't we're think saying that we're... is, if you were born after 1969, go away. If you're a millennial, just go. Get out. Come in here with your haircuts and your shoes. <laughs> hey, hang on a minute. Katy Perry. I was born after 1969, and so were you. Well, yes, we are generation traitors. <laughs> but rest assured, this is not going to be like watching the Channel 5 clip show. We're not going to be taking the mickey out of the shows that we review. We are light-hearted, yes, but it's always we have in a fun. nice way. You don't. I am Mr. Fun. What do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm having we fun 24-7. We have more fun than the audience. It's the cardinal mistake of podcasting. This is true, actually. This is true. But we, we will seek to redress this, this balance. One last topic should mention is since we were last on the air two great sitcom actors passed away Roger Lightpack died a few weeks back obviously he's best known for the role of Trigger and hopefully later in the year perhaps BBC will have a, a full-on special about him one show that I really really liked more recently was Bane and Armstrong's The Old Guys and both series of that are actually available on iTunes. The second series isn't available on DVD, but they're both on iTunes. And it's worth tracking down. As a big fan of Peep Show, it was like the same kind of dialogue, but for two older men. It's like Mark and Jeremy, sort of 30, 40 years hence. And yeah, I really enjoyed that show. It's a pity that it didn't go on for longer. And then just a few days ago, Ken Jones, best known as Horrible Lives and Porridge, who we've mentioned many, many times on the show, passed away. And we still haven't done The Whackers. We haven't done The Whackers, and two other shows of his I want to mention, one of which is available on DVD, one of which isn't. Valentine Park, 1987 Central series. He was the lead in that, and also a series from the mid-70s, which regular listener Birdie mentioned a wee while ago, called The Squiddles, which is an Eric Chappell series. That one is available on DVD, so definitely track that down if you can. Wasn't Bernard Hepton in The Squirrels? Yes, he was. From Bradford! You may have noticed, ladies and gentlemen, that Ocho has a habit of slipping in references to people not only who are from Bradford, but also who are more known for their dramas. And this actually got ahead recently, where I said, right, I'm going to blow the whistle on this. We're actually going to do a drama club special. So in the archive from a few weeks ago, we actually just talk exclusively about dramas, but dramas that tend to feature well-known Sitcom faces, such as Michael Bates. I'm sorry, I know I was supposed to jump in there, but I was trying to think if there were any other sitcom people. There's only that episode of Public Eye. Th- oh, no, of course, Simon Cadell is a Nazi. That's what we mm-hmm. yes. I think we've actually referenced Enemy at the Door 
more often than some sitcoms on this sitcom podcast. This is true. Categorically, we have referenced Enemy at the Door more times than Heidi High. It's kind of been our go-to reference for a depressing drama. Sorry, and of course, can, can we just mention again, Series 1 of Enemy at the Door was on Saturday night at 7.15 on ITV. Remember that when you're next watching Take Me Out. Same slot. Now, this week, we thought we'd come back with a popular show, because sometimes we'll look at shows which nobody, including ourselves, have ever heard of. But this week, we're looking at a popular show which has just enjoyed a nice wee repeat one on BBC Two, and that is Are You Being Served? And I think that the way that our minds work, I think that we've actually got here because one of the sponsors on the Australian Blankety Blanks is legitimately called Grace Brothers Removals. So I think that's how we've sort of ended up here. But, Ocho, I sent you a few episodes to have a peek Well, at. originally we were going to do this old school. Because originally Sitcom Club was we looked at one episode of something and extrapolated from there. And you sent me an episode and I didn't like it. And I didn't really want to spend the entire podcast going, oh, God, this is bad. So I watched a couple more. One of which you recommended and one of which I already knew I enjoyed. So, Well, the one that you knew you enjoyed was and remains my favourite I've Been Served episode. I've Been Served, I got into in part because of the episode that I, I sent you an episode where the staff of Grace Brothers, and I, I presume that for everybody who's listening, I presume that everybody is familiar with what we're talking about, but basically we're talking about David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd sitcom from 1972 to 1985, set in Grace Brothers' department store, and the initial premise is that the ladies' department has been moved in to share space with the men's department, so that creates a lot of tension to begin with. The initial episodes focus very much on Trevor Bannister as the lead, but as time goes on, it becomes much more of an ensemble piece, and you have, of course, John Inman and Molly Sugden and Frank Thornton, Wendy Richard, you have Arthur Broth. And later on, of course, you have all my other people because quite a lot of cast changes later on. Including Nicholas. the first television sitcom star ever. Yes, indeed. We will come to Mr. Tebbs later. The other mainstay is Nicholas Smith, who is Mr. Rumbold, and also Harold Bennett as young Mr. Grace from the aforementioned Grace Brothers. Now, 10 series over that period of time, 13 years. When the series came to an end, it came to an end in 1985, and Wendy Richard sort of seamlessly went into EastEnders after that, where she was for, I think, sort of 25 years or so. But the episode Ocho that I sent you to talk about initially is one where the staff are reassigned to the children's toy department for the week. And that episode sparked a renaissance of interest in Are You Being Served? because it was shown at Christmas time in 1996 on BBC One. It's one of those oddities, because we will frequently refer to tropes, and there is a very, very good website which Ocho introduced me to called TV Tropes, so look it up. It's everything you could possibly think of in terms of reoccurring I don't think you need to recommend it to shows. people, because I think you're the last person to find out about it. I think you're right, yes, I think you're right, and I still haven't even got a bookmark, which is just a disgrace. But anyway, I don't know, actually, I may have stumbled across a potential trope which isn't covered here, but I believe that it is one that... Is a real thing, and I think it should be categorised. Thus, that episode was shown at Christmas time because it looks and feels like a Christmas episode, but it isn't. And I think that there's quite a few instances of individual 
episodes of sitcoms which are so light-hearted or so different that they look as if they're intended for that sort of Christmas, you know, sort of throw off your, your normal attire and let's have a big old party style episode. But yet it's got nothing to do with Christmas at all. And this really is not a Christmas episode. It's not meant to be. And yet it works perfectly as a Christmas episode in the schedules. But anyway, this went out Christmas from 1996 and was well-received to the point the BBC One then decided to start repeating Are You Being Served Again on Saturday evenings from the autumn of 1997 and using it as their starter point for the entire evening for everything that followed, Noel's house party and casualty and so on and so on. I remember at the time it being a really big thing and seeing people like John Emmon, for example, assuming the role of Mr Humphreys again in little bit parts and shows and what have you. It was a really, really big success, that revival. And it didn't lead to any new shows or anything like that because it already had a sequel called Grace and Favour, which we'll touch upon later on. But that was my first real exposure to I being served, apart from just occasionally spotting it here and there. And I can honestly say that I've seen every episode at least twice and probably a hell of a sight more <laughs> from UK Gold Repeats and so on. So, yeah, I was interested to get your take on it. But yeah, I sent you three episodes. The first one was A Change is As Good as a Rest. The staff are reassigned to the toy department. Now, you didn't really get on too well with this episode, this, did you? This is exactly the thing we tore Comeback Mrs. Noah up for the toys. It's just like, press a button and it'll go... There you go, there's your joke. That's a trait in traditional I being served episodes, which are in the men and women's department, is that you'll have a point at which Mr. Harmon comes on, for example, and says, I've got like this display Like the flashing centre? Yeah, exactly, yes. Exposing itself. But that is like a two or three minute piece within what's otherwise quite often dialogue-heavy episode, because generally speaking, it doesn't this, tend to use a great the, deal of slapstick. The press button get joke sequence went on for, I think I'm writing saying, 480 minutes. <laughs> no, I can I can confirm it was only twenty eight and a half. Oh, but I quite like that episode still because it is it's quite charming. I think it's quite a well remembered episode in as much as it's just nice to see them sort of breaking down their sort of self imposed barriers that they have every day. And Arthur Broth in charge of his railway station, for example, is a lovely image, and. It's one of those episodes that wouldn't necessarily be... This is going to sound ridiculous. I was going to say it wouldn't necessarily be an episode that I would give to somebody to introduce them to Grace Brothers, even <laughs> though it's the episode that I sent you to start, to start you off with. Because I'm not a fan of... Are you being saved? I'm not a fan of the carry-ons. That's outrageous. How can you not be a fan of the carry-ons? It's not that I refuse to watch them. Well, maybe some of the 70s ones. Can I But I'm not the kind you... of person... Oh, a carry-on. I'm going to mark that out in the... Radio Times, oh, they'll put some time aside to watch that. No, they're okay, but nah. Can I suggest how you can become an instant fan of the Carry On films? I think I have seen all of them. Well, all you have to do is get hold of a film called Keep It Up Downstairs. Oh! Ladies and gentlemen, I made the mistake of watching this film. You were only watching because you were hoping to see Francois Pascal's rear end, and you don't even get that. It's a stunt double. Thank you for staying within the boundaries of PG-ness and saying rear end but it is 
a terrible, terrible piece of work. I don't even want to call it a film. I just want to describe it as an hour and 25 minutes of people running around a big stately home and being given the direction, just do what you like. Honestly, even Carry On Emmanuel, by comparison, is going to look like George Bernard Shaw. It will give the carry-ons a new lease of life after you've seen them. But anyway, speaking of sexual frankness, Are You Being Served? From 1972 onwards, it's got this sort of tug-of-war going on. It acknowledges that the 60s have happened, basically, and yet here is this department store which is rather staid and old-fashioned and a bit dusty, and they're trying to accommodate both potential sets of customers. You'll quite often see Mrs. Slocum object to some item which they're going to put on display and Captain Peacock will say this is order from young Mr. Grace. We've got to move with the times. We've got to reflect what's going on now. That very much taps into the second episode that you saw. I still haven't finished carving the first one I saw. Here, I got here in my notes. Also, you see, the thing is, is double entendre. Double entendre, if you want to be French about it. It's okay as a filler. Because I was watching this kind of stone-faced and thinking, Open All Hours is full of comments about Nurse Clarice Emanuel's build. I was thinking, double entendres are okay as fillers. But when they're kind of are the front and centre load-bearing gags, I think that's when they start to pall for me. It's okay if you got a good piece of business going and you... Slip, slip in a, a smutty comment just to keep the left bubbling along. And I don't like Mr. Lucas. Now, hang on a second. You don't like Mr. Lucas? No. Now, now I, hope I, this do- is, I hope this is nothing against Trevor Bannister, because if well, it is, then my mum can't listen I, to this podcast. There is, there is one possibility, which is that being that I like the dustbin men, I'm used to Trevor Bannister being a bit more downbeat and vulnerable. Like he is in the dustbin men. So when he's being Jack the Lad, he just comes across as a bit mean. Interesting. Some of his comments is just like, nah, you should get a slap for that. And and if he played it a bit more desperate, like heavy, have you have you ever seen the dustbin men? Yes. So you not mean about heavy breathing, who is all about sexual frankness, but is kind of trapped. And I guess I guess because he's so good in that, when I see him in this, and also of course it, this is series five. And I'm not going to watch it series by series to develop a full picture. I think, but also I think, there's I think pos- that possibility we'll, we'll pause, that it's let's not pause his the recording. <laughs> let's pause the recording. You go back and watch this from series one, episode No. One. And when you get to episode uh, eight of series ten, give me a what shout. What series did he leave? He left after series seven. Oh, okay. So he's, it's just the thing. It's not his show anymore. Maybe he's no longer bringing his A performance to bear. This is the thing, because, as I mentioned previously, the first series, Trevor Bannister is very much the focus. Mr. Lucas is the focus of our attention. He is our sort of conduit. We've often talked about shows putting a character into an existing group, and they are going to be asking the questions that we would want to ask ourselves. So... He's a newish junior, and he's still getting used to all the different bits and pieces and all the tricks of the trade and all the ways of the department. And so he is, he's our guy, basically. He's our guy, and he's, he's the one 
through which Mr. Humphreys, for example, is going to explain to us about Kenneth bits and pieces that they use to try and sell jackets or trousers or whatever it may be and all the, the little bits that they use or little sayings that they'll employ and so on, the kind of customers to expect. So Mr. Lucas in Series 1, he does come across as more vulnerable. I mean, he's always quick with a sharp response. He's always taunting Mrs. Slocum. In the very, very first few episodes, Mrs. Slocum actually takes quite a shine to Mr. Lucas. She quite likes him and she's willing to tolerate his cheeky remarks, but certainly not by the time we get to series four or five. But yeah, in those first few episodes, he'll confide in Mr. Humphreys. He'll say, look, I'm, I'm brassic. You know, I've, I've got to get by till tomorrow. I can't afford to lose this job and so on and so on. He doesn't necessarily do himself any favours the way that he acts all the time because he is rather lazy and he's often turning up late and trying to take shortcuts and having a cheeky cigarette in the department or whatever it may be. So he doesn't do himself any favours, but there is more of an air of vulnerability to him in the initial episodes. Whereas, by the time we get to sort of 76, 77, he is still a junior in the department, but he's been there a while and he's a bit more secure in his role and so he feels that he can just sort of come out with remarks in the canteen. I prefer Mr. Replacement, played by Mike, tribute to Buddy Holly Berry. Now, this is interesting, because... Maybe I'd like Trevor Bannister better if he'd worked with Joe Meek. Okay, that's not, that's a non-starter of an idea. Because <laughs> I have nothing to respond okay. to. I'm hopping on about that, because it's only recently I realised that they're the same person, that the Mike Berry in Are You Being Served and the Mike Berry who made records with Joe Meek is the same guy. What an idiot I am. I hope you're also aware that he's the same Mike Berry who's in Wurzel Gummidge. I try not to watch Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> they're not all as bad as that episode I'm going to say bad, I don't mean bad as in not good, I mean as in terrifying and horrifying and how on earth is that wasn't even television. the return of Daft Head that we watched, which I thought was the benchmark of sheer <laughs> terror <laughs> oh, can we okay. stop talking about are you being served then and just have this cathartic moment about Wurzel Do you just want us, how f- you want us to be on a counselling session? And this for... was supposed to be Sunday afternoon jolly time for the kids. <laughs> and you've got this inhuman mud monster <laughs> turning up with no warning. Oh no, you won't! And I mean, the kids are identification characters. Run, run off and scream. <laughs> I think it was Cult TV magazine only lasted a few issues. That did say that Wurzel Gummidge is scarier than The Exorcist. But it was a different time, and it meant that you were made of steel. If you grew up and you were... No. No, it didn't. Nietzsche was wrong. That which doesn't kill me just hurts and <laughs> leaves a scar. Um, you should it explain. It just unnerved me. You should very, very briefly explain for new listeners the concept of hauntology, because that's what we're actually getting at here, isn't it? I'm not going to explain that, because I think our listeners are fairly sophisticated. And I have heard and seen too many web original works talking about popular culture where they don't credit the audience with any intelligence or curiosity and explain the most basic thing. So, Okay, you all know what hauntology is. You all know what hauntology is. If you don't, it's probably because you're not interested. And you can leave it alone, that's fine. Oh. You feel, you, feel, you, feel better. you feel better for that, don't you? No, I don't. I feel like I've picked off a scab and it's bleeding. 
Okay, right. I don't even know if this is going to make the edit, but what the hell? If it fits, it fits. And, and you know what? It like... was his bestial howl at the end of the end credits. <laughs> as his cross that he rested upon collapsed from underneath him. And the sheer terror in his face, because maybe he wouldn't get up again. Maybe he would biodegrade into the soil and feel every moment. <laughs> Sunday afternoon. No wonder they're putting You're enemy in the door on that... Saturday evening. What a culture. What a strange planet. Mate Betty. Yeah, he's he's goofier. He's, he's There's more of a sense that he doesn't necessarily expect to get away with his remarks. Because the thing is that I would like to address the balance somewhat in this show because any documentary you see about I being served or any book that you read about it and so on, there are a couple of very good books about it published about sort of 15 or so years ago. But I feel that the latter years tend to get unfairly maligned. I think they're sort of represented as in, oh, they just went on like four series too many or five series too many. You quite often hear people say, oh, yeah, the... the the, the ideal number for a sitcom is, is three series and, and shouldn't go any further than that and so on. And that's nonsense. It, it really is. Some of the best shows of all time have had series going on beyond a decade or more. And I don't think that it's fair to keep on casting up I Being Served as an example of a show that outstayed its welcome. I think that there is an argument for saying that perhaps the last couple of series, things were getting a little bit sort of repetitive in terms of the the plot, and also some of the plots were a little bit silly and not quite in keeping with the original idea for the show. But nevertheless, I don't think there's any point at which the show stops becoming enjoyable, stops becoming fun. I can think of a lot of shows where when it gets to, say series seven or eight or whatever if i'm re-watching a show i'll just stop and i won't go any further i mean i do that with red dwarf for example i stop at the end of series six i go back to series one Roseanne is another example where series nine no no thanks i don't think that applies to i being served and i think that the necessity of replacing cast members it's just one of those things it's just something that you do if a show is going to go on for a long time and I like some of the, the people who were there for a little bit shorter period of time. And there's some interesting replacements in those later episodes. You mentioned before, you alluded to the very first British TV sitcom star. James Hater of Pinwright's Progress. Started 1947. And I believe the revival is going to be this <laughs> Christmas on BBC One. He plays Mr. Tebbs. Because Sidney Poitier was unavailable. <laughs> It's Potter. Arthur Brough passed away. They needed a new head of the menswear department and there was James Hater in the role of Mr. Tebbs. Now, I'd also like to correct something which has become sort of received wisdom over the years, which is not true at all. And it was actually mentioned in a documentary about I being served a few years back and unfortunately it wasn't corrected by people making the documentary. There is this myth that a lot of people who took on the reins of the head of the menswear department, just died. And that's why they had to keep on replacing them. And this is not true. It was true in the case of Arthur Broth. However, James Hayter was best known at this time as the voice of Mr. Kipling. 
in the adverts. And Mr. Tibbs was, I think at times he was quite a genial chap, but also he could be quite grumpy. And he didn't mind joining in with the put-downs of Mrs. Slocum and so on. The advertising agency effectively gave James Hayter a choice. He said, if you want to carry on being the voice of Mr. Kipling, then you need to knock this character on the head because we don't think it's in keeping with Jolly. Mr. Kipling is not the image that we want to portray. And, quite understandably, he decided to stick with the adverts. And so that's why... Well, it wasn't, just a matter of, it wasn't just a matter of if you want to continue because it was like, well, you know, this, this is paid work. And it's like, we will pay you not to be in that show. <laughs> Well, I'm just presuming that probably the the contract for Mr. Kipling's voice was was more valuable than yeah. Well, I, th- uh, I think they just put him on a retainer. Sitcom. Fair enough. Yeah, I expect so. But so you know, so that idea that that James Hitter passed away and that's why he was then replaced with Alfie Bass. That's not true. Exactly the same applies in the case of Alfie Bass as well. Alfie Bass then took the role of Mr. Goldberg to replace Mr. Tebbs in '79, and the reason that he left is because he felt that. He wanted not so much higher billing. It wasn't a Charles Hawtrey style How does situation. he play Mr. Goldberg? More... I haven't seen any of his episodes. Um, Mr. Goldberg, he is... Yeah, it's fair to say that he is... He's not not stereotypical Jewish, absolutely full-on. Well, that's but... a nice change for Alfie Bess, because he keeps cropping up in things I'm watching as... Um... How do I put it? The stingy old well, he's, no, exactly as, Yeah, exactly as that. But, I mean, I've got to clarify that by saying that there was one episode, I believe the first episode where he's introduced, in which he is very much in that role. And he is suddenly seeing in a lot of new customers to Grace Brothers who know him but don't know the store and so on. And that's sort of playing into his stereotypical role. But as the series then progresses, he's more... Played in sort of sharp businessman, and he knows all the different tricks and what have you. But for the most part, I'd say on balance, he's sort of settling into that role of he's the elder statesman. He also of the plays floor. a stereotypically Jewish character in a couple of episodes of Dick Turpin. Aha! Hey, hey. 1981, series eight, because we're going to get on to talking about an episode. We completely from that skipped that middle one, but ah, no, no, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. But series eight, 1981, that's one that really interests me. Because it's one where you've got such a high turnover of personnel. Trevor Bannister has left. I suppose you could say that... I think actually Trevor Bannister leaving is even more of a change as far as the dynamic is concerned than the constant replacement of the head of the menswear department. Because whereas you've got Arthur Broth and then James Hayter and Alfie Bass and so on, you've throughout that whole time you've got basically they, they are there in that role and they're the head of the department and the go-to person for Captain Peacock and so on and they obviously get the butt of a lot of the sort of oh you're past it jokes and what have you when Trevor Bannister goes there is something missing there is definitely something missing from, from that point onwards because Trevor Bannister was such a good performer and he was capable of I mean, you might disagree, Ocho, because based upon what you were saying before, but I think that he's capable of delivering those insults to Mrs. Slocum. And yet, I don't think he comes across as just a really mean sort of person. I think that there's enough, still enough vulnerability in there from him on occasion that it doesn't become irritating. I mean, I don't want to criticise the the actor in question, so I'm going to sort of gloss over the, the details of it. But there was one show a few years back. It was a show that was starring Jim Broadbent. 
And one of the other characters in the show was the guy who always made the sort of sarcastic remarks. And he just really, really irritated me. His character, not the actor himself, his character really, really irritated me from the word go. I could not stand him. And he was throughout the whole two series. And I just thought, sometimes, if, if you actually worked with somebody like that, eventually you just want to clout them around the back of the head. And yet I don't feel that with Mr. Lucas. I am only going off two episodes, really, and a vague memory and being blinded by the dustbin men. Yes. <laughs> you know what I you mean. You don't mean that they got one of the dustbin lids and went, boy, oi, oi, oi. Well, now, I think that Mike Berry, he, he does a great job in the role of Mr. Spooner, but I think that the role that he's been given is not really allowing him to develop his own personality, which I think was something Does he do any was, singing? He does, on occasion, particularly the very last episode. Very last episode of the last series. You want to exploit his talents. So I don't really think that he's given the chance to develop his own character rather than just become sort of Mr. Lucas Mark II. Whereas I think the actors who come into the role of the head of the menswear department, I think they're all given the opportunity to be their own person. Now, a bit of an oddity in this series because, for a start, you've got two changes of the head of menswear. And that's called Milo Sperber, brought in to play the role of Mr. Grossman. And he comes in at the beginning of Series 8, and he's given a little bit of preamble, but otherwise he's just there, basically. He doesn't get the kind of entrance that Alfie Bass gets in his equivalent episode. He did not particularly enjoy playing the role of Mr. Grossman, and he actually left the series halfway through. And then you had the Scottish actor Benny Lee come in to fulfil the role of a character called Mr. Klein, who just steps into the roles ahead of menswear and comes in with almost no preamble whatsoever, and then he just assumes the role for the remaining four episodes of that series. And from that point onwards, Mr. Humphreys is the de facto head of the men's department from then on. But it is a bit odd because you don't normally get such a high-profile cast change slap-bang in the middle of a series. Mr. Humphreys, is he a harmful stereotype? And... When I ask that question, I'm not expecting a definite answer. Because we're just too damned nuanced. We're going to um and ah. Well, I think the best answer that I can give, personally, is I have no idea. Because I think that that is a question that needs to be answered by, basically, a gay person. I think that it needs to be a gay man who would answer that question and say, for me personally, I felt that he was a harmful stereotype, or no, he wasn't. And I've heard gay people give both sides of the argument over the years. I, I, I don't see how I can answer that question, to be honest, any more than I could answer a question about, say, how does the Fosters come across? Or how, what kind of impact does that have on you? Or, so, you see what I mean? Something along those lines. I mean, if you ask me, is Russ Abbott's appearance as... What's his name? Yeah, I know who you mean. See you, Jimmy. Yeah, I couldn't care less. No, fine, whatever. Yeah, daft, stereotype. And, and nah. Well, I'm going to have my own little straight opinion here, which is it's very difficult to tell because I imagine the impact he had was different on different members of the audience. And some people will have had their prejudices reinforced and some will have had them melted because, I think we've said this before and we'll say it again, odd man out aside, John Inman, very charismatic, warm, great presence. But unfortunately, there's no way of getting the numbers. How many of you felt comfortable in continuing your hatred of the gays? 
And how many of you thought, well, he's a nice fella. So it's, it's, I introduced that question just to acknowledge it, but I don't think there is a, a strict answer. We need a gay person's opinion, but in soliciting that opinion, we're kind of reducing people to mere characteristics. So if you want to tweet in with your opinion on Mr. Humphrey, oh, you know what? Regardless of any characteristics you have, we'd like to hear about, we'd like, to, we'd like some opinions about Mr. Humphreys from everybody who has an opinion they feel is worth tweeting. It is such a fine line between, as you say, you legitimately ask the question, it's such a fine line between that and Alan Partridge saying, what's it like being a lesbian? Well, this, you know, part of this is because I have worked for some very right-on organisations. Not necessarily the organisations I've worked for. I've also heard stories then, you know, from other... And there can be that tendency for people who are meant to be extremely right-on, and, if I may use the term, PC, to actually be quite offensive in... Oh, right, how wonderful that you're gay. Can you do some gay for us as part of our gay outreach programme? That kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And that's, I mean, it also gets into a much, much broader political argument as well. It's one that you often heard the main two sides in British politics in the 80s argue back and forth between are you standing up for people's rights or are you simply categorising people? Are you simply ticking a box and saying, oh, yeah, you belong to this group here, this group here, this group here, whereas others will say, we don't look at people like that. You know, we it's, it's a much, much broader picture and so on. See you, Jimmy's not offensive, though. See you, Jimmy is funny and you need to lighten up. <laughs> well, apparently so. But all I'll say about See You, Jimmy, is that he appeared on STV's Hogmanay show in Cowcaddens. And I think that if the Scots en masse wanted to take the pitchforks to Ross Abbott, I don't think that he would have braved that. And no, no, I don't think he'd brave in that remotely offensive. I'm going to say there's probably a Highlands-Lowlands divide on ah, the maybe, issue. Maybe, maybe. The only thing I will take issue with here with regards to Mr. Humphreys. I think that there is a little bit of the Benny Hill syndrome going on here. Again, it's a more complex issue than it is portrayed by either side. But you know how when people are talking about Benny Hill, people will often bring up the sort of the Ben Elton argument, as he put it, about Benny Hill chasing young women around on his show and so on. And then you get the sort of the Dennis Kirkland response, which is, he didn't chase the woman, the woman chased him. You see? That's the difference. That's the important bit. Now, that's not actually true. There are many, many instances of the woman chasing Benny Hill, and there are also instances of Benny Hill chasing the woman. So, it's not clear-cut. Now, in the case of Mr. Humphreys, certainly if you compare Mr. Humphreys to Neville Sutcliffe in Odd Man Out, they are very, very different characters, and Mr. Humphreys is far more succinct and nuanced. Having said that, there is a school of thought, and it's one that actually is put forward by David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd themselves, that Mr. Humphreys was never written with his sexuality in mind. He's supposed to be a mummy's boy. He's simply supposed well, to be feminine. A lot of his lines feminine. don't make sense. <laughs> well, exactly. This is, this is what I'm going to say. Far be it from me to criticise David Croft or Jeremy Lloyd, but all I'll say is that I don't think that that argument stands up to the text itself, and if you want an example of it, an episode involving, I think it's the episode with Joanna Lumley from early on, 
involving the uh, the perfume counter. Miss Bram says to Mr. Humphreys, what kind of school did you go to? And Mr. Humphreys says, mixed. Miss Bram says, oh, were girls and boys? And Mr. Humphreys says, no, just boys. Now, if they wrote Mr. Humphreys without his sexuality in mind, then that line makes no sense. And there are plenty of other examples throughout of lines alluding to his sexuality, but never overt, never actually being definitive either way. So, Can I drag race into things just to make things extra unfun? can't remember where I read it, but I remember reading something. It was about, I think it was generally about Hollywood movies and the portrayal of generally black characters. And it's sort of like in the first wave, for, for a start, you know, half the time it's going to be people in blackface, but they're portrayed as not even human. And there'll be always a character to freak out with fear in a thunderstorm or be superstitious. And whoever came up with this theory, the, th- the wave after that is the post-humanised eccentric. Good examples of that buckwheat in the Hour Gang movies and Eddie Rochester Anderson. These are humans, and certainly in the case, well, in the case of Hour Gang, and even more so in the case of, of Rochester in the Jack Benny programme after a certain point, race gags are not gone for when they could be. There, there are some in Hour Gang... With Jack Benny, there was a deliberate decision after a certain point. If there's going to be a gag about Rochester's race, he's going to make it. But there's still something about them that's kind of like a bit of a remove from the audience. From what's seen as being the norm. Slightly exaggerated characters. So I think that's where Mr. Humphreys is. Now compare him with Lukewarm in Porridge. Well... Lukewarm sexuality is actually referenced directly. Yes, but, okay, the example I've got of a really dodgy portrayal, I think, comes after Are You Being Served. Do you remember there was a Morecambe and Wise sketch, one of the Thames shows? It was something about Ernie's fly or something. <laughs> no, you actually, you're, you're, you're making reference to my absolute favourite Morecambe and Wise sketch. Yes, it's, it's a sketch about bell ringing from the opening of the the final series, 1983. Yes, and it's a, it's a wonderful sketch, and it was chosen by Thames as part of their 21st anniversary to show off. But yes, it's got a but the guy who Can I help? And yes. that's all yeah. he does. He comes on, he tries to molest Ernie, and he gets chased off. So those are three different ways of doing it, and Mr. Humphreys is in the middle. And when we get round to watching Agony, I don't doubt we'll have another... Oh yeah, no agony is agony is an interesting case in point. But okay, a couple we're of things. We're going to get flamed horribly, aren't we? Any time you get near this, because I think that if you're going to talk about a show, then I don't think there should be any elements of it which are off limits. The, the whole point about it is that we're discussing the text in hand, and if you've got a different opinion, tweet us or email us. Tweet us at the sitcom. But be club, kind. Feedback at sitcomclub.com. Yeah, be kind. Be kind. I mean, please, everybody, if we haven't done what we could have done, we've tried. What was it? What show was it you didn't like? I don't think I liked any of them, really. No, there was one particular show that you weren't really in favour of and you got compared to Simon Cadell, if I can put it like that. And it was Man that, About that, that the House. I liked Man About the House. I just thought it was very difficult to talk about because it was froth. Not bad froth. Froth by its very nature. It was soft serve 
nice fluffy comedy and there wasn't really anything to grab onto to dissect good show does its job not necessarily one though that benefits from the kind of over analytical approach that we like to take here we'll come back to mad about the house we'll watch a bit more i think george and mildred there's probably going to be more to talk about george and mildred than there is man about the house in fact you know i've also been thinking can we ever really talk about dad's army or has everything been said about dad's army that can be said is it one of the most overexposed sitcoms i think there are things that could be said about dad's army i think that we could have a multi-episode because i think to do dad's army justice i think you really would want to go through the full series because i've just finished series three started at the beginning and working my way through. I just want to come back to what you were saying there because there's a couple of things that spring to mind there. And this also leads into the second episode that we were watching for this. Okay, as far as Mr. Humphreys is concerned, I think that the the argument that I would put forward, not necessarily to excuse or to justify the portrayal of lukewarm or the character you mentioned in Morgan Wise, but as far as the Morgan Wise skit is concerned, it's exactly that. It's a skit. It's three or four minutes. Everything is over the top. Eric is being very, very silly. Ernie is being very, very poor-faced. Therefore, your makeup artist is being very effeminate. That's that's the argument I would put forward, as far as that's concerned. As far as lukewarm is concerned in Pottage, I think that Pottage being grittier than are you being served and dealing with a situation which is unpleasant in, in its very, very core the fact that you've got basically people locked up in prison for having committed a variety of crimes it's not exactly going to leap off the page as being full of laughs so i think that the slightly sort of darker feel to that i think that that means that it's better able to discuss people's characteristics bits and pieces like that i mean you've got for example them talking about he's referred to as black jock well the thing i said earlier though is they have right of reply They are named characters, they have right of reply, and they also get just pure exposition dialogue. So there's things where they don't come on, have a gag made about them, and then go off. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I think also it would be strange if given the fact that... What I'm saying is, take a letter Mr. Jones should have had a couple more series out of it. It would have been fantastic by series three, I tell you. No, the thing thing is that 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 could have just been ITV politics, because without getting into... The, well, so they've gone. the company that made exactly the company that made Mr. Jones lost its franchise, and so we'll we'll never know. We'll I'm never know if there would have been, been a second series of that or not. Of John Inman, that the best use of his time. You mentioned race before. Here's an interesting point. I don't know if it's interesting or not because that that seems really self-centered. Here's an interesting point which I'm about to make. No, here's potentially an interesting talking point. The end of the episode, the old order changes that I sent you previously. Now, I was talking earlier on about the constants of tug-of-war between Grace Brothers wanting oh, to sort of maintain its image. It's very kind of you to call that an ending. It's just a, well, okay. It's a no, non-ending. Hang on. It's a stop. <laughs> I know. Hang on. No, so we talked about the tug-of-war about Grace Brothers trying to sort of maintain its standards and so on, and yet serve the great British public in the 1970s. Now, I think actually, in all honesty, we, because we spoke before about... I quite liked that one, by the way. Yeah, I did. I, I like that. I like that episode. It's We've spoken before about, again, this is a definitely a red flag trope, huge neon letters, sitcoms being 
behind times in the things that they portray. You've got it, yeah, because, because I've, I've got yeah. I've got here in my notes out of date reference pools. This is 1977, and young Mister Grace has been to America. Is America 1971? <laughs> yes, exactly. I was I was even going to say 67. I was going to say you go back 10 years, but. The problem is that you could have done this in 67 and people in some parts of London would have identified with it entirely and then other people in the rest of the United Kingdom would have been looking at it with completely blank expressions. And yeah, it, it's a, it's a full-on trope about sitcoms when they try and represent popular culture, they tend to be a few years behind. Like, for example, when Terry Scott references Frankie Goes to Hollywood in Terry and June, he does so in 1987. Whereas if he'd done it in 1984, it would have been topical, but it would have been lost on a large percentage of the target audience. So yeah, this episode here is is, is screaming late 60s, but you know you've got to have that sort of little gap there so that everybody gets the references and knows what's going on. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good episode. It's a bit of an oddity. There's a bit of actual character work with Peacock being so grumpy and behaving apparently out of character, being noticeably way more irascible. There is a bit of prop nonsense with the smoke, blowing smoke into a mannequin and it coming out later, but it's just it just glides by. It, it actually starts nice and slow. Nice conversation between Mr. Lucas and Mr. Humphreys. Yeah, apart from the fact that Mr. Humphreys' doctor doesn't know how to do fractions. Two out of every ten, that's one in five. <laughs> no, that was okay, but it does have... Well, should, should we bring Dad's Army into it? Because one thing I have noticed with Dad's Army is episodes have a tendency to stop. Or they will resolve, you'll get the A plot, the B plot will be complications rising from the A plot, and the A plot will be resolved, and the B plot will be left hanging, or vice versa. One of the recent ones I watched, the platoon has been accused of grave robbing. That doesn't need to be, <laughs> to be dealt with. <laughs> I rather think it does. And this happens with that series eight one, the 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 stand stand up, the sit up, the sit out. That's the one. No, you're you're absolutely right. It's something that you do actually spot a great deal in in Dad's Army, and I'm not familiar enough with a lower low, so I can't really comment on a lower low. But yeah, I've certainly seen. I think I've probably seen this in things like Doctor Beaching as well, where yeah, you you get that sort of. If plot A has been resolved, that's our main concern. And then if it's plot B, then you just sort of... It, it's accepted that things are going to reset next time. They're going to get out of this I jam. I feel like I should so, actually quickly explain the plot of the episode we just talked about. Because just... <laughs> it sounds quite dark the way Well, no, we just threw stuff out, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Young Mr. Grace, who runs the store, has been to America and has decided that the staff have to be more casual and so they dress and behave like it's an episode of Top of the Pops from 1971. When you said explain the plot, I thought you meant Dad's Army because you just suddenly said, oh yeah, they got accused of the grave robbery. No, that's... Hang that's, on, what? What was I'm that? Not, I, <laughs> I want people to be able to enjoy that one, so I want to explain. <laughs> it's not dark. It's not, it's not, it's not anything no, suddenly sinister. Not, not, naturally, it is a bit. The reason they've been accused of grave robbing is because they have been grave robbing. Yeah, but surely they must have had... Oh, yes, they had reasons. Justifiable reasons. It wasn't just, <laughs> just the latest of um, Walker's schemes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Did we even mention the actual plot of the first episode we were talking about? We have been away too long. No, I did not. I said they'd been seconded to the children's department. Okay, and there's a lot of toys that have 
to go. <laughs> was there ever really a doll that says I have to go to the toilet? It seems like one of those things that crops up in sitcoms, and when you look at it, it's like no. Right. There was no way. Now again, I I am I'm potentially inviting um a negative response here, and I really don't mean to, but I'm gonna just say exactly what's going through my head there because there were so many different that train of thought that just shot from my brain there. Number one, I'm thinking. I'm not sure if there was. Number two, I was thinking, well, I wasn't the target market for little dolls. So how can I possibly answer that question? The third thing I'm then thinking of is that a big topic recently, and it's been getting a lot of press coverage and so on, is the genderfication of children's toys. So me just saying I wasn't the target market for, you know, little uh, kids' dolls, then perhaps I'm falling into that trap of assigning sort of gender roles and saying so and so on. Um, as if to say, if I'd then responded, well, no, of course, I was playing with, you know, uh, model railways and so on, so how the hell would I know? But yeah, so I think that topic's too hot. We can discuss sexuality and race, but if you're going to start asking me about children's toys and whether dolls said, I want to go to the potty, then this is just, this is a hot potato that I'm not willing to handle. So, so Series 8, <laughs> Episode whatever, the sit-up. The sit out. Old Mr. Grace is rubbish. Now I've got to stand up for Kenneth Waller here. I'm not saying anything against the actor. I know. No, I know. Again, I think he's just trying to get through it. He's been drafted in. He's possibly has somebody else's lines, and but it, it does not strike me as somebody whose heart's in it. And he's just wearing, waiting to get onto bread and start swearing. I think that yeah, he's in an impossible situation because Harold Bennett does appear at the beginning of the series and then appears at the end of the series and unfortunately that episode was then shown posthumously. It does feel like they want to have somebody in that role because they've had a Mr. Grace for seven previous series and yet Harold Bennett wasn't in a position to to play the part for an entire series. So, I think part of yeah, the problem is Harold that... Bennett's good for slightly cloud cuckoo land. He seems a little bit ah. He's only he's only slightly younger than the age that he's supposed to be portraying. No, it's not, I'm not indicating like senility. Is... He's just kind of like somebody. He just seems a little harebrained, and whereas Kenneth Waller is more for slightly pedantic, grumpy old men. Well, no, I mean, okay, I prefer it that he played it the way that he did than simply try to be young Mister Grace Mark II. But he's still there with his sexy nurses and. He's too different and not different enough. He's fulfilling much the same role, but in too different a way. I don't know. It he doesn't sit right with me. No, I don't. I don't. I think yeah. There's a reason why they discontinued the role of Mister Grace. Now, Mister Grace is always referred to right up until Grace and Favor, but we don't see Mister Grace again after Series Eight. So that episode sits out is my favorite. Are you being served? Episode of all. This really nice long scene. Of character stuff, of Mr. Rumbold pretending to be a customer but being too soft and making it look too easy, Captain Peacock showing what an awkward customer is like, people firing lines at each other. Not much in the way of double entendres. I just did, again, just enough to keep it going, but the laughs are really coming from the more pointed phrases and the crazy behaviour. One topic that I'd like us to consider in this batch of sitcom clubs on a future episode is what I would dub the perfect sitcom. Now by that I mean you're selecting an episode of a sitcom which just 
hits all the right marks, it ticks all the right boxes, it's got all the, the correct levels in terms of, say, slapstick and dialogue humour and pathos and so on. Now, I'm not putting forward sit out for that role, but I think that in terms of an episode of Are You Being Served, which simultaneously is the comedy of manners that it purports to be and also has the the elements of farce and slapstick and as you say characterization i think this this just has all those elements exactly like you say it's got a nice set piece where they're going through the sales procedure you've then got a nice section in the middle where they're sat in the canteen and they're talking about what they would do if they couldn't continue at Grace Brothers. I mean, they're actually considering the prospect of being out of work. And then you've got a nice big finish. You've got a finish that's actually unusually for Grace Brothers, outdoors. Not really outdoors, of course. Studio-based. There is a payoff that is set up with the line earlier. That being said, we don't actually find out what the results of the strike are, do we? Oh no, Mr. Rumble turns up, doesn't he, and says something, but does, does that get was Again, it, it's similar to what you were saying with Dad's Army. It's sort of left a little bit unresolved, but... Resolved them the, being the principle... on the roof, but we haven't resolved the reason they're on the roof. The B-plot gets resolved and the A-plot is left hanging. Yeah, indeed. But the principal threat of them being moved to the bargain basement has been averted. So that's, that's, a, that's a main concern and that's now not going to happen. One little detail to point out is that the roof of Grace Brothers has a remarkable similarity to the roof of the shop that Richie and Eddie are minding in an episode of Bottom. I've never actually compared the two side by side, but they're clearly the same set and there are elements to it which look absolutely identical. And they're only 10 years apart of the shows. But if I was going to give an episode I'd being served to, to sort of recommend to anybody as an instruction, then I'd probably go with that one. And it's nice that even in its later series, and despite all the upheaval with cast changes and so on, that it's still able to pull a really good episode out of the hand. Another one I would say, actually, that I think falls into that category is the first episode of the last series in 1985 called Goodbye, Mrs. Slocum. And that, again, that also ends... No, I'm not really giving away any spoilers here, but that also ends with B-plot unresolved. <laughs> so, again, it's, it's a repeating characteristic. But it does seem to be that as long as the, the change to the status quo is not turning the universe on its head, then you can leave some things unresolved because there's an expectation amongst the audience that things are going to be back to normal next week. I don't think that you would have a situation where there's a threat of the closure of Grace Brothers and it closes, and that's it. And then it, come, then it comes back next week and it's been completely forgotten about. I don't think you get that kind of situation. <laughs> this is something we really need to give some more thought to, but just off the top of our heads, can we think of any examples of a plot being left unresolved in a sitcom which never, ever gets referred to again and clearly is resolved because it continues, but is just completely dropped? And this is putting aside wacky stuff like The Simpsons. Yeah, the laws of the universe apply, and it's not really a zany show as such. Well, I'd have to send you back to TV Tropes, I think, for something called What Happened to the Mouse. I believe that might deal with those kinds of things. I am, I'm really struggling here to think of an example in a sitcom, but my God, there's got to be. Yes, and if you've got any suggestions for plots particularly plots which extend beyond one episode, 
and are then just forgotten about. If you've got any examples of that from any British sitcom, let us know. Tweet us at the sitcom club or email us feedback at sitcomclub.com. So, Ocho, overall, your thoughts then, are you being served? Yeah, it exists. We may, at some point in the future, release a mini sitcom club podcast for people who are really pushed for time and all it will consist of is the opening 30 (laughs) seconds and the last 30 seconds so to give you a taste of it today we're talking about are you being served Ocho what do you make of that then yeah it exists that's the second club ladies and gentlemen we'll be back next week and next week we'll be talking about I love Lucy right okay (laughs) (laughs) no but it's a show that I do. I, I would put that on my list of sort of comfort viewing. I know what I'm getting with Are You Being Served. There's usually episodes of it on my Sky Plus. And if I just drop in on an episode, then I find it very, very good for sort of late night viewing. It's something which it's not going to be too taxing for me to. I don't have to have my full attention on it. But we at didn't the same really time, examine it, any of the characters in depth, did we? Other than Mr. Humphreys. Do you think that's because we can't? They just no, I think crumble. I didn't mention the fact that Frank Thornton is in every British movie ever, as far as I can tell. He he also turned up in the other night. Now, what was it now? Uh, no Sex Please were British. He turned up in that the other night. And I hadn't even... His name wasn't at the beginning of the, the, the Welcome film. to my life in the last few months is watching a British film and there he is. Not even necessarily well, this credited. is the thing because he wasn't credited, but I just knew he was going to be in it somewhere. And there he was. He was in there for about 30 seconds. But we haven't gone in depth about any particular characters. What I would suggest people do, because this is territory that's already been covered. We always say at the end of the shows, further viewing rather than further reading. But in this case, I'm actually going to suggest some further reading. You probably have to go out of your way to get these because they're not in print anymore. But there are a couple of very good books about Are You Being Served, which do go in depth on the characters themselves. One is by... Anthony Brown, and it's written for the American market, PBS market, because of course I Being Served, very, very popular on PBS in the US. And it's called I Being Served, the inside story of Britain's funniest and public television's favourite comedy series. And the other is by Richard Webber in association with David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd. And that is called I Being Served, a celebration of 25 years. Well, been very Nice chatting with you, Ocho, and it's great to be back. I thought, I, th- I, thought I was getting the elbow there. <laughs> it's been very nice talking with you, very nice working for the last few months. No, I was going to say it's lovely being back, and then I realised that if I was going to say it's nice to be back, then I was going to start doing a Ronnie Corbett shtick. Anyway, great to be back with Sitcom Club. We've got lots and lots of delights planned for the next few weeks and months. And, Ocho, we have got a big old list of listener requests, have we not? We read them all out previously at the end of our last show, yeah. and we will be let's, getting to all of those Let's tackle them the week after in the next, next few weeks. Yes, well, we've got, we've got a few week, things. Next week, we will be doing a show, but we haven't actually taken the decision yet. No, we, have, we haven't decided, and also we've got things lined up. I'm going to be doing a show with um, Dr. Christian Troy where we're going to be looking at sitcoms from a particular year. Borgen Strove will be joining us at one point in the near future as well. We'll be discussing all manner of different things. We'll be getting to all the requests. And I think we'll be looking at all manner of different tropes. In the meantime, despite the fact that we've gotten this nice big list of sitcoms to talk about, if there's anything you'd like us to talk about that's not already on the list, then please tweet us at the sitcom club. 
can follow us on there, of course. We're on Facebook as well. Just look up Sitcom Club on Facebook. You can email us, feedback at sitcomclub.com. If you visit us, sitcomclub.com, the website has XML feed. You can feed into your podcatcher. You can get all the previous episodes going all the way back to April. It's about 30 or so. And yeah, if you want to give your opinions about anything that we're saying in the show or if you've got any thoughts about I being served or any of the other shows that we've spoken about previously let us know let's have a good old conversation as Mrs Merton said let's have a heated debate but not too heated from Ocho goodbye everybody this is Mooncat signing off and saying thank you again for listening to the Sitcom Club <laughs>